1994, the Sherman family purchased their dream ranch just southeast of Ballard, Utah. Sitting on over 500 acres of pristine, panoramic views and large pastures, perfect for their prized Black Angus and Simmental cattle, they thought they had found the perfect place to raise their two kids and to pursue their American dream of having a vast and tranquil cattle ranch. Large Russian olive trees dotted the landscape, and a stream ran through the property, adding to what should have been such an ideal and picturesque cattle ranch. However, in the 20 months the Sherman family lived there, they were constantly perplexed and tormented by a variety of unexplainable and disturbing activity. They saw strange lights and unknown aircraft in the sky. Shadow figures haunted their ranch house. A freakishly large wolf, unfazed by bullets, roamed about their property. Strange blue orbs terrorized their dogs, and in under two years, 25% of their cattle disappeared or wound up mutilated with no explanation as to how or why. Who, or what, was responsible for all of this? Well, dear people, my name is Riley, and welcome to the first ever episode of Paranormal Community College. And today, we're talking about the infinitely mysterious and downright bizarre Skinwalker Ranch. But first, if you like the episode, it would really help me out if you please hit the follow or subscribe button and feel free to leave a review. Now, if you're a Skinwalker Ranch nerd like me, you may be thinking, okay, there's hundreds of podcasts about Skinwalker Ranch. What can I possibly say that you haven't heard before? But stay tuned because I've read Hunt for the Skinwalker and I've looked into the history and folklore of the area, and a lot of what I've learned, I've never heard about before. So I'm breaking this up into two parts. In part one, we'll dig into the background of the area and look into the Sherman family experiences. And in part two, we'll look at Robert Bigelow and the NIDS team. So let's get into it. Often referred to as a Disneyland of the paranormal or the Area 51 of unexplained phenomenon, Skinwalker Ranch continues to leave researchers and scientists baffled. Millions of dollars have been poured into this property, many of those dollars coming from the U.S. Department of Defense, making it the most studied paranormal hotspot in history. But still, more questions than answers remain. So if you've never heard of Skinwalker Ranch before, I kind of want to give you a preview of some of the phenomenon commonly reported there. So we got UFO sightings of all shapes and sizes, and so this area of Utah has rightfully earned the name UFO Alley. We have sightings of large, unknown, possibly even prehistoric creatures, strange noises coming up from the earth, phantom voices, shadow people, poltergeist activity, cattle mutilations, weird menacing orbs, portals that open up in the sky and in the mesa, and more still. But let's get into some background. So Skinwalker Ranch is located in Uintah County, and the general area has been inhabited for at least 10,000 years. Ancient petroglyphs at nearby Sago Canyon and Nine Mile Canyon depict Native American shamans, their ancestors, animals, and the star people. While the Star People legends vary from tribe to tribe, it's been said that these were spiritual beings, the distant ancestors of, in this case, the Utes and the Navajo. Shamans and the Star People are often depicted alongside what many say look like portals, little swirly things with animals, humans, or human-like beings coming in and out of them. 
And in the Navajo spiritual tradition, shamans are able to communicate with beings from other worlds. They are essentially the go-betweens between our world and the worlds beyond. In fact, Navajo mythology, particularly their origin story, is riddled with stories of portals and passing between different worlds. Now, I'm not gonna lie. Some of these petroglyphs are kind of freaky looking. I mean, there are petroglyphs at Sego Canyon that do look eerily like the typical gray alien with the huge eyes, the big bulbous head and spindly little neck. And some of them do look like they have antennas. So I don't know, maybe the ancient alien guys are right or maybe it's just easy to let your imagination run wild and make something extra weird when it doesn't have to be. What I'm more interested in are those swirly portal looking things because the most unique unexplained phenomenon said to occur at Skinwalker Ranch are those alleged portals that are set to spiral open in the sky or from within the mesa. And the idea that there may be a way to manipulate time and space like that is not necessarily unscientific or theoretically impossible, but more on portals in a bit. Now, there is a well-documented history of high strangeness in the Uintah Basin, spanning over hundreds of years, and depending on what you think of those petroglyphs nearby, maybe even thousands of years. In the 1700s, Spanish monks wrote that they would see strange lights and objects above their campfires at night. Of course, whenever someone says something as vague as this, people are quick to explain it away. It was probably a meteor or a comet, and monks in the 1700s were just too stupid to know what those were. But what gets me is that they say they would see strange objects above their campfires at night. And they didn't say in the sky or in the distance or over the hills, maybe suggesting that whatever they saw was lower to the ground. And this kind of thing was experienced numerous times by the Sherman family, as well as other people living in Uintah County. In the mid-1800s, tensions in the area reached a pivotal turning point. In the 1860s, a major land dispute broke out between the Utes, the Navajo, and the U.S. military. Treaties were broken time and time again by the American government in their aggressive search for land to settle and more resources to exploit. The Utes, in an effort to protect themselves and their families and their livelihood, sided with the U.S. military in exchange for more desirable land. They were still getting kicked off all the good parts, but it was better than the alternative, which was unfortunately the fate of the Navajo people in Utah and Colorado. Between 1863 and 1866, the Navajo were forced to embark on what is now known as the Long Walk of the Navajo, where they were relocated to parts of Arizona and eastern New Mexico. And as you can imagine, this land was not desirable. This is how you get Navajo Joker, by the way. Feeling betrayed, feeling sold out by the Utes, feeling so angry about being kicked out of their ancestral lands. The story goes that Navajo shamans, after decades of grief, turned to dark magics in hopes of wreaking havoc upon the Ute population. The Navajo always believed in magic, but shamans used it for good, healing purposes only. Magic was a tool used for the betterment of one's soul, one's body, and for the betterment of the tribe. It was used to enhance positive spiritual experiences. But in an effort to enact vengeance upon the Utes, the story goes one or two ways. In one version, Navajo shamans opened up a portal, because remember, fundamentally, these shamans are go-betweens between our world and other worlds. And so they opened up a portal to another dimension and allowed for the skinwalker to pass through, effectively cursing the land forever. The skinwalker was known to be a mischievous, trickster-like spirit from another world, a being who could not be controlled and did as it pleased, tormenting anyone who may cross its path. In another version, and the most widely distributed version of the story, 
some Navajo shamans became skinwalkers themselves. And how does one become a skinwalker, you ask? According to the Navajo, in order to become a skinwalker, one must murder a blood relative, notably a sibling, parent, or grandparent. They then pervert and manipulate sacred Navajo magic to cause illness, influence the thoughts of others, cause people to harm themselves or others, and they are incredibly fast, jumping over tall mesas with ease. They can also travel by supernatural means, i.e. they can teleport. Most take on the shape of a coyote or a wolf, but some may also manifest as a cougar, fox, large dog, deer, or a bear. They can mimic the voices of those they've killed or the voices of their prey's loved ones. They are described as retaining human-like eyes and may move in an awkward or unnatural fashion. According to oral tradition, in 1878, the skinwalkers became such a problem within the tribe that the shamans and elders ordered these dark witches to be hunted down and formally executed. Known as the Navajo Witch Purge of 1878, an unknown number of witches or skinwalkers were executed. Now, this is all according to oral tradition. I couldn't find any written documented sources on this, but at the very least, I don't believe oral histories come out of nowhere. There's always at least a kernel of truth to them, if not more. And it makes sense that skinwalkers or not, the Navajo would be experiencing heightened anxieties and distress given what they'd been through for the last few decades. And in times of stress and trauma, humans naturally look for a scapegoat. Now, around this time, the Navajo are allowed to return to parts of their land in Utah and elsewhere. However, when they returned to their old land in Utah, they found it to be covered in some unseen, dark, and sinister force. There was this ominous presence that permeated the atmosphere. Perhaps their curse from over a decade earlier had worked. In the early 1900s, Americans had a difficult time settling in the area. Not the least of their difficulties was anger from the natives who were, again, being pushed off their land to make room for settlers. But that wasn't the only reason why settlement was slow and why settlements were often abandoned. In 1911, a local newspaper in Theodore, Utah, published an article with the headline, Rumblings Heard in Uintah Basin, Strange Noises Cause New Settlers Much Uneasiness. The article states, quote, the settlers have noticed with wonder the occasional rumblings resembling explosions or distant thunder, which can be heard at intervals every calm day and night. There has been much speculation as to the nature or cause of this phenomenon, and various theories have been advanced, some much more fanciful and imaginary. Homesteaders have heard these muffled detonations every quiet day since the former Uintah Indian Reservation was opened to settlement over five years ago and have become so familiar to them they have long ceased to pay any attention to what seems most unusual or alarming to strangers." End quote. What's interesting is that these rumbling noises are still heard on Skinwalker Ranch today. Now I'm going to get more into theories in part two, but it's very likely that these noises could simply be some sort of tectonic activity or geological anomaly. In fact, there are some very unique geological characteristics of the Uintah Basin, that could be partially to blame for much of the strange activity and radiation spikes said to occur there. Moving into the 1930s, we have the first documented reports of cattle mutilations, perhaps the most prevalent activity reported at Skinwalker Ranch today. Whatever is going on out there, whatever possible creature or creatures or government entity that may be out there, they have an unhealthy and downright disturbing interest in cattle and their private parts. These mutilated carcasses often, but not always, 
have the signs of a classic cattle mutilation as outlined by investigative journalist Linda Moulton Howe. The eyes and lips of the skyward facing head are removed. There is a chemical odor in the air. The carcass has not been touched by scavengers. Perhaps most disturbing, the rectal cavity and genitalia has been removed with seemingly surgical precision. And the carcass has been completely exsanguinated, having been somehow drained of all its blood. In the 1940s, reports of UFOs started flooding in, as they did in much of the United States after the alleged crash at Roswell in 1947. In one story, a couple enjoying a picnic witnessed a large metallic sphere hover over them before speeding off. And as we go on, I want you to take a mental note on all the different types of UFOs witnessed in the area. In 1951, a group of 30 students witnessed a cigar-shaped UFO hovering just off the ground at about a 50-foot distance. While the students were interviewed, they did not want to have their names in the paper for fear of ridicule. But it's really interesting that this potential mass UFO sighting could have been the first of its kind in the United States. And it happened right here in Skinwalker Ranch territory. In the 1960s, fireballs in the sky were reported throughout the area, and at least one large triangle UFO was reported by dozens. A rancher claimed to have seen a silver saucer land on his property and watch five short, humanoid-like beings emerge from the craft. Another person claimed to see a group of aliens in white overalls who looked like they were collecting soil samples. And this is just the beginning of what I describe as almost cartoonishly bizarre and unbelievable sightings said to occur in this one little county in Utah. Believe me, it gets even weirder, although, I don't know, little aliens and overalls is pretty freaking weird. Since the 1950s, there have been well over 400 UFO sightings in the Utah Basin alone. But if we go into every single one of those UFO sightings, this would be a 10-hour episode, and we're here to learn about the specific experiences on Skinwalker Ranch. I just wanted to establish the history and reputation of weirdness to provide some context and background because whatever is going on at Skinwalker Ranch, it was there long before the Shermans showed up. The Sherman family bought the ranch from Kenneth and Edith Myers in 1994. The Myers had lived there for 60 years and sold it to the Shermans at a bargain of a price. Terry and Gwen Sherman couldn't believe their luck. They moved from their small town in New Mexico in order to pursue this dream of having a large cattle ranch where they could raise their teenage son and young daughter away from the city and on land as beautiful and deceptively calm as they had found at Skinwalker Ranch. They were seeking a peaceful, simple, hard-earned country lifestyle, their version of the American dream. But the Myers family had one strange request upon selling to the Shermans. They asked them not to dig on the ranch, and that if they did... They needed to let them know about it. Writing it off as just some eccentric request by an elderly couple, Terry and Gwen didn't think much of it. And after all, this was to be a cattle ranch. You have to dig on a cattle ranch. You gotta dig corral post holes and fences and the like. But jumping ahead to quote Robert Bigelow for a second, he claimed, quote, bad things happen to people and animals when you dig on the ranch. But that wasn't the only strange thing they noticed about the Myers. When Terry and Gwen started moving things into the ranch house, they noticed large metal dog chains outside of each entrance. Even the doors and windows on the inside were padlocked or bolted down. Even weirder, all the cabinets had locks on them. Now, 
According to George Knapp, he does say that the Myers only ever visited every now and then for the past several years. Were they locking their cabinets and windows to prevent theft during their long stays away? Or were they desperately trying to keep something out? Is that why they rarely visited? There's one other story that was allegedly relayed by Kenneth Myers himself. According to a friend of Kenneth's, he claimed that they got, quote, visitors at night. When he asked Kenneth what he meant by visitors, he described it as alien activity. When asked, well, what do they look like? Kenneth said, he's never seen anything, but you can feel them. This friend, who was much younger than Kenneth, also thought that he was being a paranoid, perhaps even senile old man. It's interesting that Kenneth said he couldn't see them, but he could feel them. Many at the ranch today report going into the old homesteads around the property and feeling like they are in a crowded room full of people, but they can clearly see no one is there and that they are alone, but that it just feels like they're in a crowded room, like they're about to bump into somebody. And the Shermans are definitely about to start feeling like they are certainly not alone real quick. So Terry, Gwen, and their two children settle into their new home. Everything seemed too good to be true at first. The property is gorgeous and large and perfect for raising their Black Angus and Simmental cattle. The air is fresh and clear. There's a beautiful creek that runs through the property, plenty of room for their kids to run around. The activity starts out slow enough, hearing footsteps walking around the ranch house at night. They see strange shapes out of the corner of their eye. They maybe feel like they're being watched, but that's pretty normal when you move in someplace new, right? Especially if it's in an old house far away from any neighbors. But the first major unexplainable event kicks off a series of bizarre happenings that eventually drive the Shermans off the ranch. So allow me to tell you about what has been called the direwolf encounter. Terry and his son were outside one early evening when they noticed a large wolf casually walking towards them in a nearby field. This didn't look like an ordinary wolf, though. It was freakishly huge. Terry Sherman, a man over six feet tall, claimed the wolf's back reached his stomach. It was silver gray and had bright blue eyes. And stranger still, the wolf walked up to Terry and his son like any other friendly neighborhood dog would. Terry claimed the creature even let his son pet its back. Off to the side, there was a corral with a few cattle in it most of which were huddled together in the back corner to avoid the creature, except for one curious calf who was peeking her little head out between the poles. The strange wolf snapped his head around and moved in on the calf, nipping at her snout and neck. Terry began beating the wolf with a baseball bat and yelled at his son to grab his gun. Magnum in hand, Terry fires two shots at the creature, but it's completely unfazed, barely an inconvenience. In Terry's own words, he claims, quote, it didn't yelp, it didn't pause, it didn't bleed. After the third shot, it eerily just turns to stare back at Terry, cool as a cucumber. Upon the fourth shot, a chunk of the animal's fur seemed to fall off, but still no blood. However, whatever this creature was, it gave up on its prey and slowly turned around, calmly trotting towards the brush. After Terry and his son tended to the young calf, who was pretty tore up but thankfully okay, Terry followed the tracks, which he notes were clearly visible. But then, about 60 feet away from the river in the middle of a field, the tracks just vanished, seemingly into thin air. So, in the Skinwalker Ranch Encyclopedia of the Bazaar, 
we now have wolves on steroids who disappear into thin air. So when Terry returns, he tells his son, look, I can't explain what happened and I'm not even going to try. Let's just forget that this ever happened and have a nice meal in town. But rather rapidly, the experiences became difficult to ignore. Things escalated and did not stop. One day, when Gwen Sherman was pulling up to the property from a trip into town, her heart sank as she saw the same gigantic wolf Terry and her son had seen. Huge, silver-gray, bright blue eyes. She claims the creature's head reached over the hood of her car. But this time, the wolf had a friend, a large black dog with a head that seemed too big for its body. According to Gwen, something about it just looked unnatural. Gwen turned around and went to the police station, where she was told that gray wolves haven't existed in the area for over 100 years, but she insisted that this creature had been seen twice now. And just as a side note, uh, a few people also reported that they had seen a creature like this around the same time, and also even before the Shermans moved in. So the police began showing her images of various kinds of coyotes, large domestic dogs, different species of wolves, until Gwen says, that's it, that's what I saw. The police tell her, Mrs. Sherman, that's a dire wolf. They have been extinct for at least 10,000 years, but she's insistent that that's exactly what she saw and ultimately returns home. Thankfully, no weird canines were there to meet her. However, I mean, I haven't seen a gray wolf in person, but the pictures of dire wolves I've seen online look really similar to gray wolves, so I wonder what about the dire wolf image Gwen was shown made her so sure. In the ranch house, the Shermans started to experience poltergeist activity. They would hear their names being called when there was no one there. They would see shadows outside their windows, hear footsteps until those footsteps were eventually heard inside the ranch house, along with what seemed like what people now call shadow people, solid, black, human-shaped beings that are often reported alongside poltergeist activity. One day, Gwen was putting away some groceries, and when she was finished, she went into another room, but when she walked back into the kitchen, she was stunned to see all her groceries were back in the bags. She clearly remembered putting them in the cabinets and in the refrigerator, but inexplicably, they had returned back into the grocery bags. Things would go missing and end up in abnormal places all the time, Again, a classic hallmark of poltergeist hauntings. But, of course, you could easily say, well, Gwen clearly just forgot and misremembered putting away all her groceries. But this didn't just happen inside the ranch house. Another day, Terry lost track of a post hole digger. He wouldn't find it until much later on, where it was located in a tree 30 to 40 feet up in the air. Post hole diggers can be anywhere between 50 to 70 pounds, by the way. And I mean, I don't know if you're really not supposed to dig on the ranch, maybe whatever or whoever was haunting this place or is keeping tabs on Skinwalker Ranch got pissed and threw it into a tree as a big F you to Terry for digging on the ranch. In another occurrence, Terry had just got done moving a bunch of heavy corral poles to one part of the ranch, only to find them placed in a different area entirely with no explanation as to how or why. And when the NIDS team came to work on the ranch after the Shermans sold it to them, many of these employees being military or ex-military themselves, by the way, they also claimed this kind of frustrating game of hide-and-seek was common and almost a daily occurrence. Another day, 
And this is one of my favorite stories from Skinwalker Ranch. And it's just a little short story, but it's so weird. So Terry and a friend of his were taking a walk through the woods when they heard disembodied voices that sounded like they were coming from about 20 feet above their heads. They were two distinct voices, and they appeared to be talking in what Terry described as a choppy language that sounded like a mix between Native American and Russian. Terry, jokingly or perhaps annoyedly, looked up into the air and said, hey, we can hear you. And with that, there was a pause, and then the lower of the two voices laughed and then carried on with whatever unknown, creepy, weird conversation they were having. Okay, and with that, we have to jump to 2023 real quick. So recently, Dr. Travis Taylor, who is running the investigations over at Skinwalker Ranch now, was asked on Instagram what, what's the weirdest experience that he's had on Skinwalker Ranch. Dr. Taylor responds by saying that one time, he and Eric Bard, who is a physicist and one of the principal investigators on the ranch, were in the command center setting up for the next day's investigation when all of a sudden they hear this woman talking. He said she was just talking in a language they couldn't identify. What they also couldn't identify, though, was where this voice was coming from. Dr. Taylor said they both looked in the same direction where they felt the voice was maybe coming from, but they could find no source for it. And of course... Did they manage to get that on video? Of course not, because that's just not the way these TV shows go. All right, but let's head back to the 90s. So other times, Terry and Gwen both claim that they would hear sounds like metal grinding upon metal above their head. But when they looked to the sky, there was nothing there. However, they would see plenty in the sky with their own eyes. So now we're going to talk about some UFOs Terry and Gwen claim to see. And I really don't know where to begin because according to the Shermans, seeing UFOs are just unexplained lights or portals in the sky was like almost a daily occurrence for them. So I guess first let's talk about an experience Gwen had that when I first read it sent chills down my spine. And like, I don't even know if I necessarily believe in this story or if I think it was supernatural in any way, but it's still super creepy. So poor Gwen, who was already shaken up about all the unexplained activity at the ranch, was about to spend the night by herself. Her kids were both at a friend's house and her husband was away on a business trip. Returning home from running some errands in town, Gwen notices a large black triangular craft in the sky pacing her car. Frantic, Gwen runs into the house and attempts to calm herself down. But later, things only got creepier. Looking out her kitchen window, she notices what looks like some sort of trailer that just seemed to have appeared there. A man, she said, had to have been seven or eight feet tall, who was, you know, wearing a visor and black clothes, knee-high boots, and had pale skin. She claims he stepped out of the trailer or whatever type of structure this was, and he just stared at her through the window. Now, this was from about 100 yards away. It wasn't like it was right outside her door, but still terrifying if true. At this, Gwen called Terry and begged him to come home. So Terry gets in his car and he drives through the night, and when he returns, he sees no trailer and no strange man in black, but he sees two flat boot prints where she says that she saw him. And according to Terry, 
the boot prints must have been 18 inches long. And I mean, sure, you could totally claim that Gwen was already in a high anxiety state and already didn't want to spend the night alone. And whatever she saw was from pretty far away, so maybe she just let her imagination get the better of her. But where did those footprints come from? If we are to believe Terry, that is. But there are some other holes in the story, and I don't know if that's just because George Knapp is reporting this information all secondhand in his book, Hunt for the Skinwalker. And so maybe some info was unfortunately left out or unknown, because where did that black triangular craft go? Did Gwen see it fly off? Was it still hovering over the property when she went inside? What did Gwen do after she called her husband? Did she stare at that guy until he vanished? Did she just lock all the doors and turn all the lights on and try to distract herself with some television or something? And why does Terry never have a damn camera to take pictures of these things? I know this is the 90s, but disposable cameras were totally a thing. They would also see a type of UFO that isn't commonly reported in the US, but is super common in Brazil and other parts of South America. They are these box-like rectangular UFOs, and they're kind of described as looking like floating refrigerators. The first time Terry encountered one of these, he thought it was a van, but to his amazement, when he approached this van, it simply floated away. In another instance, Terry saw some kind of craft just appear out of thin air. He described it as 30 to 40 feet in length, completely silent, and hovering about 20 feet off the ground. It was jet black and triangular and had a band of recurring colored lights around it. It appeared to be searching for something or surveying the land methodically, as if following a grid pattern. Terry claimed to see UFOs that are now categorized as the setting sun UFO, as they look like an orange, red, and yellow setting sun. They also described UFOs as big as football fields, which has in the past also been reported by others in the area, and has even been reported more recently. They'd also see round metallic spheres that seem to be intelligently controlled, and I don't know why, but that one really creeps me out. Like, I would much rather see a flying saucer. But before I go any further, I want to make it clear that Terry, he was always thinking this was the government. that he was living in an area where the government was performing some kind of military or scientific experiment, and he and his family were involuntarily a part of it. His go-to theory wasn't that it was aliens, and I don't even know if he ever believed it was. In Hunt for the Skinwalker, he seems to always refer to it simply as the phenomena. The next phenomena I'm going to describe is the one thing I would really want to see if for some reason I got to spend like a week up there. And what I'm going to be talking about are the portals. Terry and Gwen claim they would see these orange spheres or openings in the sky, and Terry swears that with binoculars, you could see blue sky within it, like a whole different sky from somewhere else. In his interviews with George Knapp, Terry claims, quote, we would see 100-foot openings in the air. It was like four orange-colored doorways would sort of spiral open. He witnessed this a few times, and later on, Robert Bigelow's team of scientists would as well. I can't remember if it was the NIDS team or the Shermans or both, but people have also claimed to see the Mesa open up as if producing some kind of portal and have even seen, allegedly, UFOs flying in and out of the Mesa. They would also claim the Mesa, or Skinwalker Ridge as it is called, they would claim it would just light up mysteriously. Even creepier, the Shermans were terrorized by these menacing blue orbs that seemed to, like the way they're described, they sound like potentially little 
balls of blue electricity or look like they have water or liquids swirling around inside of them. Just another thing to add to the Skinwalker Ranch encyclopedia of the extremely bizarre. According to the Shermans, these orbs would inspire such a sense of dread for them, which I think is interesting. Other people who have claimed to see these in the area mention the same thing, that they just give them a terrible, icky feeling. These blue orbs were often accompanied by cattle mutilations and cattle disappearances on the ranch. The first cow found dead showed only a hole in the center of its left eyeball. Scavengers had not touched the carcass, and the Shermans noted a chemical smell in the vicinity. A short time later, a second cow was found dead with the same hole in the left eyeball. But the first majorly disturbing incident occurred when Terry's son was helping him with some ranch duties after a heavy rainstorm. His son noted that a female cattle seemed to be in distress and that he'd be right back around to get her stuck out of the mud. Within 15 minutes, however, he returned to find something utterly shocking. The cow had been mutilated. Its rectum had been cored out. And I know, super gross. It had the same mysterious hole in its skyward-facing eye And this had all happened in 15 minutes. Three months later, another mutilation occurred, and the night before, they had noticed mysterious yellow lights above the pasture. Over their 20 months at the ranch, 25% of their cattle were found dead and mutilated or disappeared forever. And again, these are prized and expensive cattle. This is their livelihood. They had no reason to do this to their own animals. If you read Hunt for the Skinwalker, you really can see just how much Terry and Gwen love their cattle, and to see them mutilated like this was highly distressing for them. It routinely left Gwen in tears. What's strange is not all of the cattle found mutilated on the property show those key signs of a typical mutilation, and this has actually even been pointed out by Linda Moulton Howe. They all were found without blood and had not been touched by scavengers, and they did note the chemical odor in the air, but often their ears were cropped where the tags would be. Some of them looked sloppier than others, not typical of a regular mutilation case. Some were done with surgical precision. Others seemed to be mutilated in a hurry. Sometimes they just have that circular hole punched out of an eyelid or their eyeball. Cattle disappearances and mutilations were often accompanied by storms as well. In one snowstorm, Terry was trying to spot a cattle that had gone missing. He followed her tracks, and it looked like she had been running around erratically. But suddenly, as usual, the tracks completely disappeared. They would often follow tracks in order to locate missing cattle, only to become extremely frustrated when they just vanish. And I don't want to make this sound even more ridiculous and unbelievable, but their hoofprints would often disappear where they would find these circular depressions in the fields. I mean... It's almost cartoonishly bizarre because, yeah, where we're going with that is that cows got beamed up into a spaceship from another planet, and I don't necessarily think that's what's going on, but something is going on at the ranch, and it's very strange, and the cattle are a huge part of that. I, I personally have no doubt about that. Maybe they're paranormal cattle. According to Gwen, UFO activity almost always preceded cattle mutilations, and you know what, let's just make this even weirder. Gwen claimed that sometimes they would find this mysterious brown goo inside those circular depressions. Because, yeah, why not? Now we got cows turning into brown goo. I know I said I was going to save theories for part two, but 
I gotta say, I'm like halfway convinced there's just a group of weirdo aliens out there who are just into this creepy cattle mutilation thing. And probably everyone on their home planet thinks they're a bunch of weirdos, but we think they are these highly advanced beings because they fly around in spaceships and maybe they're conducting super important experiments, but really they are like the degenerates of their alien society. I don't know. Just a theory because, yeah, almost always the rectums are cored out or the udders are missing. And like, why? Like, what are they doing with those? I feel like they're doing weird shit with that. And why the abductions and probings too? Like, what if the aliens who come here really are just the weirdo ones? Or what if we think we're the special ones that the aliens are interested in, but really they could care less about us? Like, all they want is the cows, man. They're just super into cows. But... I digress. Because guess what? We got another weird-ass story involving another weird-ass creature because it's Skinwalker Ranch and that's just how it goes. So one day, Terry and his son were just hanging out by the river, kind of along the roadside, when this young man who, he's got like long blonde hair and he's kind of the hippie type, stops and asks Terry and his son if he can meditate on their property for a few minutes, that he felt drawn to the spiritual energy of the area, you know, if they don't mind. Terry says, sure, go ahead and knock yourself out. And he and his son are kind of amused by this. There are a couple of cattle ranchers and some hippie from the city who probably has magical crystals in his pocket wants to commune with the spiritual energy of their ranch. They were getting a kick out of this. However, Terry notices a strange iridescent see-through type of shape in the bushes. Alarmed but unsure what to do, Terry and his son just watch, kind of frozen. And then this thing rushes towards the hippie dude. The Sherman scream, the man screams, and in the confusion, it's unclear where the creature ran off to, but the man appeared unharmed, just very shaken up. He told Terry and his son that there was bad energy there, and, you know, he may just be right. But what's really weird is the way Terry and his son described it. It's almost exactly like the Predator, like as in from the Predator movies. You know, some type of creature with dreadlocks and an invisibility cloaking mechanism. But before you think, okay, well, they just made this up and maybe they did. The NIDS team saw the same creature on at least one occasion. And I think two, actually. They even shot at this predator, skinwalker type of whatever. So now in our skinwalker ranch encyclopedia of the bazaar, we got cattle being abducted by aliens. We have classic poltergeist activity. We got portals opening up in the sky, a disappearing dire wolf, and we got the predator too now because, like, why not? Oh, and we haven't even gotten to Bigfoot yet because, yeah, that's apparently also a thing here because at this point, why wouldn't it be? But let's get back to those blue orbs before we wrap up part one. And this last story may be disturbing for some listeners, so it's going to become clear where the story is kind of going, so if it doesn't sound like your thing, feel free to skip. Just as a warning, it's, it's got to do with the dog, so be advised. Now, these blue orbs love to torment the Sherman's three dogs for some reason. They would play like a cat and mouse game with them, toying with them. The dogs would bark and chase after them, and by the way, we're not talking friendly playing around. The dogs did not like these things. But one day, these blue orby thingamajiggies led the three dogs on a fateful chase into the brush. 
Terry and Gwen tried to call their dogs back, but the dogs were committed to chasing these things down. Seconds after disappearing into the brush, the Shermans hear three yelps and then silence. What happens next confuses and angers a lot of people. For whatever reason, neither Terry nor Gwen go to check on their dogs that night. They go back inside and decide they'll deal with it tomorrow when they can bear it. Scarlett O'Hara style. Maybe Terry and Gwen just were not ready to process what they knew to be true. That something had just killed their dogs and they couldn't have protected them. Something had already killed or taken a quarter of their cattle. Something was always there watching, waiting, and now they knew just what that presence or phenomenon was capable of. It was perhaps too much to handle. And remember, they're parents. What if one of them went after their dogs and didn't return? I'm sure it was a very difficult and traumatic dilemma. In the morning, they went to the brush where the dogs had disappeared. There, they found three circular depressions, and inside those depressions were three blobs of brown goo and that familiar chemical odor in the air. I'm not even going to try to explain that, but it suggests that something incredibly disturbing happened to those dogs, if we are to believe the Shermans, of course. My main thing is, with this and so many other occurrences and experiences that the Shermans claim to have had, is pictures. Why didn't they take any pictures? If I was like Terry and believed this was government-related, I'd want to take some pictures to possibly protect myself or support my claims. But this was the Sherman family's last straw. If this could happen to their cattle and now their dogs, could their own children be next? They had lasted 20 months and apparently locals had placed bets on how long the family would last there. For whatever it's worth, they had outlasted all of their bets. The Shermans packed up their cattle and moved to a smaller ranch in a nearby town. They sold their property to Robert Bigelow, a real estate and aerospace billionaire and a devout researcher of the paranormal and after-death studies. Their relationship with Skinwalker Ranch doesn't quite end there, though. Terry agrees to stay on as ranch manager, working with Robert Bigelow and his team to get to the bottom of what was happening. Terry, whose family had been incessantly harassed for almost two years, needed answers. Gwen and occasionally the kids would help out as well, but they could not live there any longer, and I really can't say that I blame them. No matter how beautiful and perfect it may have seemed at first, some things really are too good to be true. The Shermans are out there somewhere living in obscurity. They never wanted attention, thus why George Knapp changed their names in his book. They have not in any way tried to capitalize on this. They haven't written any books or been on any TV programs about Skinwalker Ranch. They haven't participated in the bajillion documentaries and podcasts that have been made about their experiences. They are not seeking attention. From the beginning, they just wanted solitude, peace of mind, and their cattle. That's all. And I hope they found it eventually. And if they're making all of this up for whatever reason, they have got really awesome imaginations, and I gotta give it to them for that. Well, guys, that concludes part one and the very first episode ever of Paranormal Community College. Thank you so, so much for listening. I really can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you for bearing with me through my very first episode. For more, you can follow me over on TikTok and Instagram 
TikTok is at PCC Podcast, and Instagram is at Paranormal Community College. There's also a Facebook group where you can post things and start discussions as you wish, and you can even request episode topics if you'd like. I'm also going to have merch up very soon, so if you want to support me that way, stay tuned for that. So until next time, don't let the aliens zap you into brown goo, and take care, everyone.